Hello and thank you for listening to episode 260 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one I get to chat with director, writer, producer, composer and even sometime actor as well, John Harrison. And as you'll hear, I had a brilliant time chatting with John. I could have talked to him for, I could have talked to him all evening. Hopefully he'll be on the show again before too long because there's a lot to cover. And we covered a lot in the time that we've got. We began, well, we began in 1978. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that my favourite movie of all time is 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Well, if you weren't aware, John played Screwdriver Zombie in that. A short appearance, yes, but a very, very memorable appearance indeed. And we have a little bit of a chat about that. How could I not have him on the show and not talk about screwdriver zombie and we go all the way through right through to now present day with him writing and directing episodes of creep show which hopefully all being well soon when the world returns to some sort of normality more episodes are going to be made and he's ready for that but we recorded this on june the 25th and it was the day before children of june was released on amazon prime over here in the uk so by the time you listen to this, it's available to watch. And I do encourage you to do that. And I do encourage you to seek out a lot more that John's done. Hopefully this episode will give you a little taster of his filmography so far. So let's sit back, relax and get comfortable as I spend a little bit of time chatting with John Harrison. First of all, John, I always thank the guests right at the beginning of the show for spending some time with me. I'm always very appreciative of uh, people spending this little bit of time with me. And I can't wait to speak to you, John, because there's so much I want to have a chat about, if that's okay. That's great. Can I start with your acting career? Um, Because don't purely because Dawn of the Dead is my all time favorite film. And with no exaggeration, I have seen it into triple figures. Uh, and there is a story I've told on this podcast where when uh, a friend of mine got it on VHS way back in the day, we spent an entire 24 hours watching it back to back and we became kind of obsessed with it. And you have quite a scene in that, a very memorable scene too, don't you? Yeah, I don't know that I would call it acting, though. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny how that happened because uh, George Romero was, uh, as you know, one of my dearest friends and mentors. And uh, the production manager, Zilla Clinton, called me uh, that night and said, hey, uh, George would wonder if you would come out and uh, help us with a continuity problem that we have. And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to, but I've got a big meeting the next morning. I had a small film production company at the time, and we were making industrials and commercials and very much part of the independent film scene in Pittsburgh, during that time. And I said, we've got a, an important meeting with a big bank in Pittsburgh and I've got to, you know, be on my P's and Q's. And so I, I, I can't be out too late. And she said, no, 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 this is just a real quick thing. And, uh, we'll get you out in no time. So I went out to the Monroeville mall where it was being shot. And, uh, uh, George told me what the gag involved, you know, when Scotty runs from one shot, left to right mm-hmm. and then goes to the other shot uh left to right 
in the middle. He in the, in the one shot he has a sweater on, and the other shot he doesn't have a sweater on. So we had to get rid of the sweater. <laughs> and uh, as you know, I was the zombie that leapt out at him and uh, took him down, and then he killed me with a screwdriver in the ear. And I'm probably better known as an actor for that than anything else I've ever done. <laughs> It's unbelievable, isn't it, how something just like that can be so memorable to people and, and mean so much to so many people all these years later as well. Well, I was at a bowling alley in Los Angeles with my wife and a bunch of our friends, and we were having a great time drinking beer and and uh, pretending to bowl. And uh, <laughs> this woman, two or three lanes down, kept looking over at me, and my wife is saying, so uh, what's this all about here? And... Uh, Finally, when she and her crowd got up and walked by, they passed behind us. And the woman said, "And but now, remember, Dave, this is like 10 years, maybe more, after Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And she walks behind us and she goes, see, see, I told you, that's him. That's the screwdriver zombie. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> It's something that will be with you forever, John, won't it? Definitely. <laughs> My ear itches constantly. <laughs> no, it was, it was great fun. And you've got a big connection with George as well, haven't you? Because you were in Night Riders as well. Yeah, well, I mean, my background was... Uh, I, I never went to film school, but I did uh, want to be in the business. Um, I was a professional musician for a long time. And, uh, but when I moved back to Pittsburgh, I had, I had had some acting experience in college and, uh, had done some professional acting, but nothing really to speak of. Um, but, uh, we got together with George and he became a dear friend of mine. And, uh, uh, we did, a variety of things together. Our company provided some production services for him. Um, as you noted, he cast me in a couple of shows in small bit parts. He was always a great mentor and advisor during the time that we were coming up with my own company. We made a small film in Pittsburgh independently, uh, like he had done Night of the Living Dead raising money from friends and family and so forth. And with about 50 grand, we went out and we made a, a small thriller called Effects. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, we were kind of out of money for our cast at one point. So my partners came and said, well, you do it. So I did the role of the bad guy. So they didn't have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I didn't really pursue an acting uh, career um, per se, uh, I really wanted to be behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so I've done little bits and pieces, but mostly for friends. Yeah. Because I was looking through your, I was looking through your filmography and when I was just glancing through the acting credits that you'd got, you reminded me of a film that I loved back, back in the day again, that I haven't seen since the days of VHS that now I am definitely going to revisit, uh, is Jack's back from 1988 as well. Oh yeah. Well, that came about again, sort of like with George. Uh, Rowdy Harrington, who was the director, writer-director of that film, uh, and I were, uh, were good friends. He came from Pittsburgh, too, and had a great career as a director. That was his first film. And uh, he called me up one day and he said, hey, look, I got this little bit part. And uh, I just wonder if you want to come down and do it. 
I had a habit, Dave, of playing really sleazy bums in all of my acting role. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about me, but that's what my friends want me to do. So uh, that's when I played the role of Chooch down in uh, in Jack's back as the gun dealer. I am definitely going to rewatch that now because when I saw it, I thought, "Oh my!" I just remember really enjoying watching that film. So yeah, I'm going to watch it. It's a very good film. Yeah, very good film. I remember it being that. I've got to ask you, John, as well. Are you a Steelers fan? <laughs> does the uh, bear do whatever he does in the woods? <laughs> Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> the reason I'm asking, I'm sat here in Wales and I look in front of me and obviously I've got the computer screen and then I glance to one side and I've got two terrible towels. I've got a photograph of me with, with Big Ben, with Franco Harris, with Rod Woodson. Yeah, um, I mean, six degrees of separation time here. We interviewed Laurie Cardell a few years ago and be- became good friends with her uh, and, a hus- oh, yeah. and a husband, Jim. Uh, so we got yep. talking and, you know, found out I was, I've was i been a big Steelers fan since 82, since the NFL started showing over here in the UK. Uh, okay. purely because they were the first game that I watched and of the two teams I thought I'm going to pick you and that, that's how I became a Steelers fan so um, Laurie and her husband kindly invited me to go and stay with them a couple of years ago so I stayed with them and went to a Steelers game and went it was the Steelers-Browns and the Steelers won obviously and um, yeah it, it was incredible so I've got I've been a Steelers fan for ages and I, I saw you and obviously the Pittsburgh connection I thought you've got to be a Steelers fan too <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't come from that city and not be. Uh, it's a, uh, it, it's really what they call the Steelers Nation is everywhere. I mean, I've run into people uh, in Paris who are Steelers fans. I've run into people in the Czech Republic who are Steelers, wow. Steelers fans. So uh, yeah, we have a we have a funny phrase um, that you can take the boy out of the burg, but you can't take the burg out of the boy. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. It was it was definitely a dream come true for me. And uh, I'm just hoping this coming season isn't cancelled because I'd got the Steelers down for the Super Bowl this season. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Anyway, yep. moving on to your career, though. I mean, you've got so many strings to your bow with director and writer and producer and, and composer. There's so much to talk about. Um I mean, let's come away from the acting. Let's move on to television just for a little bit. And when I looked at you, you know, the credits that you got, both as a director and writer and composer as well, the horror stuff, let's take that, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, Monsters, Nightmare Cafe, all TV shows that I really enjoyed. I mean, it was a big time for horror during the 80s especially and then going into the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, I was uh, obviously happy to be a part of that, the genre is one that I have loved ever since I was a kid and uh, have always wanted to play in that arena. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, I came back and hooked up with George, um, who then, with his partner Richard Rubenstein, had a television show called Tales from the Dark Side. And that gave me really my first complete experience as a Mm -hmm. writer-director. I had been George's assistant director on several of his movies and the composing part, which we can talk about later, kind of fell into line Mm -hmm. accidentally through that. But um, he knew, uh, both he and Richard knew that I wanted to write and direct. And uh, that show was the best film school I ever could have gone to. Um, We had no money. Uh, It was syndicated. Um, 
But uh, if you really wanted to do it, they gave you a break. And uh, we had to be incredibly creative because, as I say, we had no money. So it was all just uh, uh, whatever imaginary, imaginative things we could come up with. Um, had great scripts. Um, I wrote a couple, um, directed a bunch, and uh, I learned an incredible amount just by doing it, being hands-on. Yeah. I mean, you'd already got a lot of experience, but can you remember what it was like that that first time on set as you as the director? <laughs> uh, well, the trick is to never let anybody know that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess I put on a good front, but, you know, all kidding aside, if you have really great people around you, Mm -hmm. uh, and I did on that. Um, I worked with a wonderful cinematographer named Gideon Parath, um, and uh, on many of those, and great production designers and, and really good editors. So you can put a team together that really uh, helps carry you through. Yeah. Uh, it's always good to have a point of view and know sort of what you want to do, and you learn by doing, but uh, your team is critical to, uh, to the success of it. Uh, it's just too complicated uh, a proposition to think you know everything. So it's best to kind of go in and uh, rely on those who know more than you. And what were the time constraints like on TV shows like that? Well, interestingly, we had five days to do a Tales from the Dark Side episode, and they were half hours. I just finished doing... Uh, a season of the new Creepshow TV series on Shudder and AMC. And um, we had seven days, but we had to do two episodes in each. Oh, wow. So it seems like the more we, I mean, now they were short, they weren't all half hours, but uh, it seemed like the, the more I do, the less time and money I get. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, television, it's... Network television has obviously become much more expensive and many more days to shoot. Um, I was doing a show, a couple of shows for Dean Devlin, the, the producer of Independence Day and Patriot and uh, called Leverage and, and uh, Librarians. And we had seven days to shoot those. Um, but television is a, has become very competitive cinematically with movies uh, to, in order to to get eyeballs to the screen. Uh, so production values have had to really intensify. And it's made, uh, you know, you can't just have people in a room talking to each other anymore. you got to have explosions and special effects and visual effects. And so uh, it's uh, you really cram a lot into a seven, eight-day schedule. Um, and sometimes... They want you to do it in six or five. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, and American TV as well uh, traditionally always had more channels than over here in the UK. Uh, but I should imagine now, you know, with the advent of streaming services and everything, there's such competition, like you said, to get to get those eyeballs in front of the screens on that particular channel. Now, it must be such a hotbed trying to get a viewer nowadays. I, I think it is. I mean, back in the day when I was coming up, there were only three or four networks in the U.S. And uh, a show 
to be considered a hit, a show really had to reach 20, 30 million viewers uh, in an episode. Well, now, if you have four or five million viewers, you're considered a hit. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the downside of the competition. But the upside is that there are many more venues for product. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot more opportunity to get stuff out there. And that is really... Uh, been to the benefit of the horror genre and the sci-fi genre because back in the day, those genres were kind of looked down upon. They were kind of frowned upon uh, on television. Um, But uh, to my delight, there's, you know, everything is genre now. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. They're finally seeing sense and putting out the good stuff now. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Well, much like Jack's back when I was looking at your filmography again, reminded me of you know, that that film that I need to rewatch. It reminded me as well of a TV series that I used to love, uh, Earth Two, and you directed and wrote a few episodes of that as well. Oh yeah, I wish that show had gone on. We oh, had really yeah. next season, um, but again, a friend of mine uh, asked me to come out, and uh, he was one of the producers, and. Uh, I uh, I just settled into that so easily. The cast was fantastic, and the crew was great. Um, it was not an easy show to do because it was all on location in the mountains of New Mexico, <clears throat> but, uh, and we were on location everywhere. We really didn't have any what we call standing sets, um, but the cast was great, and uh, I loved the whole premise of it. Um, but alas, it was only one season. So what can I say? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, listeners to this show know that I'm a movie guy and it, it takes a lot for me to stay in with a TV series. And I love this TV series when it was on. And I was gutted, absolutely gutted when it finished and, you know, wasn't renewed. It was a very expensive show. And I think uh, Universal, the producers, uh, there were two series running simultaneously that were very expensive. Uh, it was uh, Earth 2, and uh, Spielberg had a show, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was about a submarine, and it was kind of futuristic. And both of them were incredibly expensive shows for the network, uh, NBC. And uh, I think they had to make a choice, which one is going to get the nod, you know, mm-hmm. Earth 2 or Steven Spielberg. So... There you oh, go. What a pity. What a pity that is. Uh, to get on to you as a composer as well, because you've got such a great body of work with that. How did that begin? I mean, how did you and music begin? Let's go back that far. Well, I grew up with music in church choirs and the glee clubs of the school. And and uh, as as early as I could, I put my own bands together and they became professional uh all through school and then beyond, I uh, I had a great opportunity. I had my own band for many years, and we were on a kind of a barroom circuit uh, around Pennsylvania for several years. Mm-hmm. And then I was asked to join a guitarist by the name of Roy Buchanan's band. And uh, Roy, uh, for those of people who know, was one of these guitar gods back in the day. He was never famous like... Jeff Beck or Clapton or any of those guys, but they all knew who he was and admired him. And we did a lot of traveling and toured and made records, made albums. 
And I was his uh, bass player for about four years. So I had a professional career before my film career really got started. Um, But the composing career began with George. Um, He, uh, I was his assistant director on Creepshow. And during the course of that production, we would talk about the music uh, that he wanted in the movie. And, because he had been an independent filmmaker for so long, he'd always used what we used to call needle drops or library cues. Um, and we were going to do that on Creep Show because he wanted it to have a 1950s comic book feel to it. Yeah. But the cues that we got were not particularly suited for the, uh, for the film. And it had a production value that really demanded a really good uh, score. And I said, well, look, I've got some, equipment i've got my my gear i could write a few things and bridge a few gaps and try to add the fidelity to some of these other cues one thing led to the next and i ended up scoring the movie um and george being the kind of collaborator that he was uh just accepted that he loved what i was doing and there was really no question about okay you do the music you got the piano you do the music (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I loved it. I mean, and that score has served me very well over the years. It's uh, very popular, keeps getting reissued um, on LP, on CD, on streaming. And uh, it's kind of iconic, surprisingly enough. I never would have thought back in the day that it would, uh, whatever it is, 40-some years later, still be a popular piece. Same with Day of the Dead. Um so we did Creep Show, and Day of the Dead was the next movie, and George said, well, do the music for this. And I also had an opportunity to do the, the music for my Tales from the Dark Side episodes, uh, more because we didn't have any money for you know anybody to do the music, <laughs> and I, so I stepped in. And uh, I didn't start out to be a film composer, but I've had uh, a couple of really good opportunities, and I'm proud of the work that we did. And very memorable, like you said as well, very memorable. Uh, I mean, say, let's take Day of the Dead, for example. How did you go about putting that together? Have you any set system that you do? Do you look at the script? Do you look at scenes after they've been filmed and then score it? Do you already have ideas just knowing what the the outline of the movie is? Well, again, I was George's director on Day of the Dead. And mm-hmm. the great thing about that was that I could sit by his side during the entire production and really get into his head about what it was he was trying to do. Um, that's an unusual situation for a composer. Most composers uh, are given the movie once it's cut near the end of the whole process, and then they have to go away. And There is collaboration with a director, of course, but it's not like being with the guy the whole time. And I was with George on both those movies, Creepshow and Day of the Dead, from pre-production all the way through post. So it gave me the opportunity to really understand what he was going for. And in day, we had a completely different script at first from the one that ultimately got made. It was a much bigger production. And uh, it involved a lot of uh, scenes in uh, South, in Florida, in the Caribbean. And I started sketching some ideas even before we began production. Uh, because I knew George wanted me to do the music. So I did some sketches and sent them to him, and he really liked them. Um, And they had that kind of Caribbean feel to it. Unfortunately, that script was too expensive, uh, and the producers asked George to come up with a 
a more confined version of it, which is what is out now, the the Day of the Dead and the Mines and so forth. But George still loved the music, so I kept going with those themes. And it was kind of a counterintuitive piece of music for the grimness of that <laughs> movie. And uh, at the time, I've been told when it came out, it was kind of controversial. A lot of, a lot of fans didn't like it at first because they expected a more horrific uh, traditional, scary horror score. But over time, it's become really popular. Does, and yeah. I think that, uh, I think that people like the, uh, the counterpoint of the more romantic score with the real grimness of those caves and the gloom and doom of the movie. Um, it, <clears throat> it gives it a little bit of a, an emotional tug, which I, which was intentional. Yeah. It's good, though, because I think everything about Day of the Dead is a lot more appreciated now than it was when it was released, both, you know, as the movie and as the score uh, and everything about it. And so many people are, are sort of reappraising it again and, and seeing it that it's so much, so much more of a full package than was at once originally thought of, you know, back when it was released. Like you say, it's like, you know, close to 40 years ago now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was not successful when it first came out. <clears throat> but it's developed this kind of iconic status. And George has even said on occasion that it's his favorite of the dawn of the, uh, you know, or it has become his favorite of the dead trilogy. Oh yeah. I, I love it a lot more. You know, like I said, with, um, with, with dawn of the dead that, you know, they might have times that have watched it, but over the years day, I, as uh, with me too, I've just again, reappraised it and appreciate it a hell of a lot more now and watch it a lot more now and uh yeah it's you know as an original trilogy you can't get much better than the george's dead films can you no i mean it's uh it's and, and i don't need to take anything away from dawn because dawn is iconic i mean it's uh uh everybody knows that movie and it's uh it's got such a great mix of humor and pathos and scares and gore <laughs> it's <laughs> <a complete> patch. <laughs> it is. now as we say here john it's june the 25th and tomorrow on amazon prime uh, at least here in the uk uh, children of june is released and i've got there's a listener called rob beardsley he's a massive june fan and he would kill me if he if i didn't read this question out when he knew that i was going to have a chat with you he sent something over for me to ask you john so i'm going to read you out this from from rob um is John going to be involved with the new Legendary franchise? And with the new film coming out, there is also a TV show coming as well, Sisterhood of June, I think. Just wondering if he will be involved in any way. Because you've got quite a history with the June franchise as well, haven't you? Yes. Um, uh, well, Rob, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be directly involved in it. Um, Denis Villeneuve is uh, doing the, the feature, as you know, and uh, it's his film. And uh, I'm only tangentially involved as one of the quote-unquote executive producers. But that's fine. I, I made my version of Dune, mm -hmm. and I'm very excited to see his version because I have enormous respect for him as a director. I've loved all his movies and I was thrilled when he uh, wanted to take this on. So I'm high as a kite over what we can expect. Yeah. But I won't be directly involved in either this, uh, the, the series or the, uh, the films. Um, 
but that's okay. I mean, I have my two miniseries and uh, my relationship with the Dune franchise. Uh, I'm very proud of. We were lucky to have the time and the budget to put together the shows that we did. Richard Rubenstein, the producer, uh, had quite a career after he and George separated uh, their partnership uh, as a producer of what I think he liked to call novelistic television. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a great relationship with Steve King and produced The Stand and Langoliers and, and others. And he came to me and he said, uh, look, I, I can get the television rights to... Uh, to Frank Herbert's Dune. Do you know the book? I said, yeah, I know the book. <laughs> um, loved this book. And uh, I was thrilled to get an opportunity to pitch an approach, um, which he liked and took to the network and to our foreign partners. And uh, we made two Emmy-winning miniseries, which are uh, still, hold, uh, still hold up as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm thrilled that uh, Children of Dune is going to be aired in the UK. Yeah, tomorrow, like I say, it's on Amazon Prime from tomorrow. And what do you think it is about that franchise with that just keeps the longevity of it and so many people are so invested in it? Well, it has such relevance to the world that we live in. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, it, it actually has more relevance, in my estimation, to the world today than the world in which Frank wrote it when he wrote it there were basically you know it was a bipolar world of two uh armed empires the u.s and the soviet union which now has become much more like the imperium of dune with uh, so many competing powerful forces um that's only one part of it though the other part of it is that herbert herbert's story really deals with the human condition, even though it's fantastical in a world that's far beyond us, it still deals with the same human condition that we're dealing with now. And I think people respond to that. Um, the, uh, the trials and tribulations of Paul to begin with, uh, that lead to then, uh, his emergence as the Muad'Dib and the Kwisai Tadarak and then the emperor. And then, what happens to his children and children of Dune, um, it's very uh, very grounded and very accessible, I think, even though it's set in a world 10,000 years from now mm -hmm. uh, and uh, with space travel and many different planets and multiple, multiple cult, uh, galactic cultures. It's still accessible and recognizable, and I think that's why it's survived so long. Yeah, and I'm sure as well with this starting tomorrow over here, it will just draw in another generation of fans that will suddenly be made aware of it and, you know, hopefully go back and find out a bit more about the history of it. And then they're hooked too. And on it goes, on to the next one, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it. it uh, I would hope that it would also encourage some people to go back to the miniseries that preceded Children of Dune, which was the one with William Hurt that I wrote and directed mm -hmm. um, because that really establishes the whole world. Um, I think those fans of Dune will understand, they'll, they'll be able to drop into children of Dune without missing too much. But uh, uh, I would, uh, I would hope that maybe it would lead back to the original miniseries that we did before children of Dune. Yeah. Oh, I hope so too. 
And of course, it's, you know, we live in weird times at the moment, John, uh, and a lot of things are on hold. But have you got anything planned for the future? Uh, well, I'm going to go back and do another season of Creepshow uh, when uh, we're allowed to. <laughs> um, it's great fun. It's kind of going back to my roots. I did a bunch last season and I'm going to do uh, one or two this season. Um, I enjoy them because they're great fun stories and uh, they're of course, the genre that I grew up with and love. I'm also writing a podcast for Universal, uh, which is, uh, I can't tell, I can't talk too much about it yet because we're in the nascent stages of it, but I can say that it is a, uh, a horror podcast with music. And uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, so I'm staying busy. Good. Uh, even though we're all kind of hunkered down for the moment, it won't last forever, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope it's over with as soon as it Yeah, counts. I was hoping to be over in the UK. Uh, this uh, We had plans to be there this August, but of course that's now on hold. Uh, but we have so many good friends over there, and uh, I've done a lot of work over there, which I love. I, uh, besides Dune, I did a, a feature uh, Clive Barker's Book of Blood, we did up in Edinburgh, and I did uh, uh, a show that I created called Residue uh, that's on Netflix, and uh, shot that in Leeds and then uh, posted in London. And uh, so I, I really enjoy working over there and seeing our friends, so I'm hoping I can get back soon. Well, I hope you do as well, John, because then, you know, I hope we could meet up and we can talk about the successful season that is going to happen and the upcoming Steelers Super Bowl win. That would be nice. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I could talk to you all day. I really could. Uh, and like I say, hopefully we'll meet up over here in the UK. Uh, and hopefully you'll come back on the show in the future because there's a, a hell of a lot more I'd love to chat with you about. Well, it's been great talking to you, Dave, and I appreciate you uh, getting in touch. No problem at all. And for the sake of the edit, thank you, John, and uh, goodbye for now. Thanks again, Dave. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. I absolutely loved chatting with John. And to, to put the proverbial icing onto the podcast cake, he's a Steelers fan as well, so it doesn't get much better than that for me. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did recording it. Uh, all being well, we'll get John back on the show soon. Still lots more to talk about. And you know, with his career still ongoing, many more new things to talk about when we get together again as well. So to close, the housekeeping, you know where we are by now. Hopefully, 60minuteswith.co.uk. That's the website, numerical 60, not alphabetical. There's a contact us form on there. Or you can email us direct, contact at 60 minutes with co.uk we do enjoy getting emails from you uh, on the website there's all the links to the social media there's news reviews all the podcasts it's the hub of everything that we do uh, there's a way that you can send us a review if you just want to take two minutes and write us a review that's always very much appreciated helps us to get even more interview guests competition prizes that we give away on our twitter account uh, and so much more besides so taking two minutes to write a review would be very welcome indeed there's also all the affiliate links to places where you can save 20 percent on insert coin clothing you can save 15 percent on retro fusion books you can help us out by buying through the amazon link there's all sorts of things on there take a few minutes have a look at the website there's always stuff going up on there so until the next time i think a fitting way to close this show would be to play the main theme from day of the dead 
composed and performed by John himself. And what an iconic score it is from an iconic film. And I think I'm going to rewatch it now. Why not? Why not? 